We're making our way through the book of Acts. We find ourselves in the middle of chapter five. So you can make your way there. Chapter five, we're gonna pick up around verse 17. Now, Heavenly Father, we do ask your blessing. We ask by the power of the Holy Spirit who's present here that you would open the eyes of our understanding. We wanna make sense of your word. We want to not resist it, but we want to open our hearts and yield our wills to your will because it's good and perfect and full of blessing and life. In Jesus' name, amen. While I was reading and reflecting on these opening chapters of the relentless cycles of persecution of Christians and the Christian church, I had a funny thought and it reminded me of an arcade game of all things. That arcade game was called Whack-A-Mole. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes, well if you don't, I have a picture. All right. Now let me tie this all together. In the game, the moles pop up and when you whack it with a mallet, you know, they're supposed to go away. But to your dismay, as you clobber one of them, an another mole rises up to take its place. There's really no end to it, and uh, one gets pounded down, another one comes up, uh, the next one gets a beat down, up comes the other one. It's just the nature of the game. I pity the guy with the mallet, you know? You just really can't win. Now, thank you for that slide. In real life, uh, here in the opening chapters of Acts, the guys with the mallets are the members of the Jewish high court called the Sanhedrin, or the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. They're trying to smack down, in this case, the pesky little thing called Christianity and those annoying Christians who represent it. Uh, with the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, we've been reading, actually, about a very happy church. This church, is uh, there are thousands of them already. They're filled with love and joy, generosity. Nobody's in need. Everybody's looking out for one another. It's a, it's a very joy-filled place. But not everyone in the story is happy. Some hearts are close to the gospel as we've seen. So the mallet has already come down on a couple heads. Uh, John and Peter have been hammered. Uh, you'll recall back a couple chapters. Uh, they were arrested. They were tossed into jail. They were threatened with their lives. And they were commanded of all things to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. So that hammer fell down and Christians just keep popping up and the Lord is adding to the church those who are responding to the gospel and being saved. So that's the context here in the middle of chapter five. We've pr proceeded two chapters from then. Here comes the swing of the mallet again. This time, 12 mallets for 12 disciples who all get thumped real good. But you know what? Guess what happens? They come popping back up, re rejoicing. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. So let's walk through this incident piece by piece as Christians who get clobbered uh, from time to time, not nearly like others in other places around the world or in past ages. But we do. We get 
clobbered, a little hammered from time to time. So it's pretty good to pay attention here because there's some valuable insights. Let's start Acts 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail again. All right, so already it's time to pause and talk. All right, so if you're taking notes, the underlying problem, the underlying problem. So now God's work in the world always seems to stir up some sinful responses. And in this case, we're told in the text, it's jealousy. Now, this, as we've been saying almost every Sunday, the hostility, the discord between the gospel and the world is not fixable. The mallets will always keep coming because of the nature of God, who he is and what he's doing, and the nature of the world, who we are and what we're doing. That never changes. You know, the Lord said, my ways are far above your ways, and uh, that is so true. Uh, the twain shall never meet unless, of course, there's repentance on one side or the other. And just let me suggest that side would be ours. Amen. <laughs> now, God is described this way. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. All right. So that means moral purity, goodness, perfect righteousness, holiness. We got that truth. And then, how do we describe the world? Well, let's take Jesus' description. He said, here's my verdict. He says in John 3 and verse 19, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Jesus said in John chapter 7 and verse 7, the world hates me because I accuse it of being evil. Now see, God's light, the world is dark, and they clash, and sometimes we get caught in the crossfire. So, but you're thinking, you know, it's the gospel, it's good news. Uh, how could that cause somebody to get angry or irritated? It's, it's about God's love and all that. But the good news only comes to us on the heels of some bad news, as I've said many times. Here's a typical typical exchange. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You can't get around that. That's kind of the core message, right? My sins? What do you mean my sins? But we have to say, well, sins, like we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, like for example, lying, stealing, sexual immorality. You judging me? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Uh, in the right way, God says to judge, make righteous judgments. You judge in the right way according to the truth. And so, so here's what I hear you say. You're saying to me I'm basically not a good person. You're saying to me I'm going about my life incorrectly. I'm doing things wrong. You're saying that I'm not good enough and I can't get to heaven without Jesus and him alone, right? And yeah, that's where the mallet comes out. Exactly, y'all were like, yeah. And then boom, out comes this big nasty mallet and it's gonna come down on your head for what? For saying the truth. 
And what Jesus said brought a mallet down on his head. And then he gave us the same exact message to relay, right? So the gospel's a threat. Uh, you know what Jesus said. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake will find it. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25. So the gospel's a threat, you know, to one's autonomy, which a better way to say that may be your self-determination or even an easier way to say it's a threat to you to be able to live any way you want to. That's a big threat because you have to become a servant to the Lord. It's a threat against my ego. I'm not a basically good person. I'm basically a bad person. That's why I need a savior. That I'm basically helpless. It's a threat, you know, I'm gonna lose friends over this. My family's gonna be divided. What's my Jewish father gonna think? Uh, What's my atheist mom gonna think? All of this stuff is a reason the mallet comes out because it's a threat to religious institutions, other so-called paths that Jesus says, everyone else is a liar. John chapter 10, all other ways, anybody who came before me, after me with a gospel, liars. A mallet comes out. You can't say things like that and not expect somebody to say, what are you talking about? You, you know, I almost said fool. <laughs> I don't know, it's just coming out of me. And it does. Well, uh, yeah, the mallet comes out, my friends, except, of course, you change the message. And you change the message, make it a, tone down that light a little bit, you know, maybe make it a little more dark. And then the dark goes, oh, dark, uh, we're not mad at you. Did you start taking that uh, million watt, whatever it's called, million candles, or how do you, you know, a very bright light. <laughs> and you shine it in people's eyes that are not accustomed to light. You know how that is in the middle of the night? Some fool <laughs> comes into the room and turns on all the lights, you know, in the two o'clock in the morning. Uh, are you happy? No, you're not happy. You're annoyed, amen? Out comes the mallet, right? <laughs> All right, speaking of threat, we got to get into this text. The ruler's uh, problem has been outed for you by the Holy Spirit. We see what the problem is. The religious leader is called the high priest. He's the president of the Supreme Court, Caiaphas, and all his viperous associates. And the Sadducees are the uh, majority party within the Sanhedrin, all right? And so the Sadducees and the high priest and all the elders are filled with jealousy. The Greek word, interesting, zalos, which means to boil, comes from to boil, but it comes to mean boiling with envy and indignation. It, it, it's sort of like it, it, it's saying, how dare you? Who do you guys think you are? Hello, we're the religious authorities. We went to the Jewish schools, we're the rabbis. We're the authorities. People look to us for spiritual guidance and leadership, not to you, and everybody's turning to the the disciples. No longer is Israel kind of God's depository of truth and the message for people to be saved. He's changing it from Judaism that did uh, a very good job. It reached the end of its rope because it produced the Savior. And now the Savior is filling hearts, and the church now uh, is the way to go for eternal life. 
And so the preceding paragraph tells us why these guys were so jealous. Um, the Holy Spirit was doing these crazy miracles through the apostles. They would line people up, um, verses 12 through 15, uh, right before our text. They would line up the crippled, the lame, demonized people in the streets. And here's the quote. And the apostles would heal all of them. All is a big word. Everybody was getting healed. Everybody was standing up. Everybody was leaping and, and praising the Lord, and they were filled with jealousy. You know, after Ananias and Sapphira and that smackdown, you know, people in that paragraph I just alluded to, they were afraid to join the church. Yet, nevertheless, people were joining, but they're Casually joining the church, those days were over. People really with sober-mindedness came in after Ananias and Sapphira. Professed Christians were struck dead in a worship service because of their hypocrisy and evil conspiring against the Lord. And so here's those crazy miracles. I think was just a fresh outbreak, an evidence of grace that the Lord was saying, I, I want to scare people away from the gathering of my people. And so here come these miracles to affirm and to verify and validate not only the apostles, listen to these guys, but the message that they were proclaiming to be true. So all of them were healed for a good reason. Judaism had expired, and now God was leading people from leaders who lacked faith and the true life to leaders and a gospel that could save and provide life and eternal life at that. So the unbelieving Jewish leaders are losing influence, they're losing their followers, they're losing income, they're losing a lot of stuff because people want life. They don't want religion. Uh, so they were jealous. So they grab all 12, like common criminals. They lock them up overnight, 12 mallets for 12 disciples, and they beat them down. Armed guards busted into a worship service, uh, arrested and cuffed the apostles, and escort them to jail, picking up in verse 19. So they're in jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the 72 guys, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the, for the apostles. My favorite part of the scriptures. Verse 22. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, um, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> yes. Verse 24. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this, then someone comes in. Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers, brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would kill them. <laughs> Stone them. All right. So we've seen the underlying problem. 
and now to the miraculous intervention. It's divine intervention time and God sends an angel, which is really funny if you understand who the Sadducees are. The Sadducees pride themselves on being liberal theologians and they discard a lot of things like angels. They did not believe in angels. So the Lord says, okay, lock up the guys and you guys who don't believe in angels, you know how I'm gonna rescue them? By somebody you don't believe in, an angel. And so it's a nice little ironic twist. By the way, it's not the first time God uses angels and it won't be the last time. Uh, Chapter eight, chapter 10, chapter 12, chapter 23, and chapter 27. So what does the Bible say about these angels? Well, first, Hebrews chapter one and verse 14. Angels are God's servants, listen, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Who would that be? That would be us. So they exist, they are sent by God, and they care for us. That's awesome. Number two is even more awesome. Number two, Hebrews 13 and verse two. Uh, You might wanna, paraphrasing, you might wanna be careful how you interact with people because we have entertained angels in our midst and have not realized it. Hebrews 13 and verse two. They take on our form. They look like us. They're around. And so the writer to the Hebrews, which many believe is Paul, it's unsigned, Many believe it's Paul is saying, uh, by the way, they're around us all the time, so you might want to just kind of keep the warm hospitality going because you don't know who's hiding behind those two brown eyes. (laughs) So during the night, the guards are oblivious. The apostles are released. Somehow, somehow the doors open by the angel. Now, here's how I picture it. Uh, Star Wars, all right? Uh, You know, there are imperial imperial stormtroopers who are the bad guys. You know where I'm going? You do? All right, so they're bad guy stormtroopers. They're looking for the two droids, C-3PO and R2-D2, right? This is profound, folks. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the master Jedi good guy, waves his hand and using the force says, These are not the droids you're looking for. And then the stormtroopers say in a daze, these are not the droids we're looking for. (laughs) And the droids are right there, of course, and walk right by them. These are not the droids you're looking for. You know what? The angel to the guards. These are not the disciples you're looking for. (laughs) Go ahead, boys. (laughs) And the guards are, these are not the disciples we're looking for. Locks up behind them, puts them at the door and say, you know, have a good night, guys. You know, so I imagine. So where do the apostles go from there? Well, notice with me that the angel doesn't say, "Okay, I'm going to let you guys out. Now run for the hills. Get out of here. Flee for your lives. They're going to kill you. No. He says, don't you got a job to do? What are you doing in here? I want you to go back. God wants you to go back to the very place that you were arrested and start talking it up about Jesus. (laughs) So I don't know what they do in those hours in between. They're probably just just repeating the story that just happened to them. But by daybreak, your text says, as soon as the sun started to come over those hills, they went back 
into Solomon's colonnade in the temple and started talking. Now, where were we? (laughs) Oh, yes, Jesus. And they started preaching the gospel. Love the angel's message. I could go on for days about it. Get back to business. Tell the people the full message of this new life. Listen to that. That's an incredible statement. Tell them the full message of this, and how do you describe it? New life. That's just so telling. Number one, why does he say tell them the full message? Well, the angel exhorts them to tell the full message because God knows the temptation will always be to cut and to paste, uh, to leave out some things that cause the, the, the mallet to appear. It'd be very easy just to tell. There are some very wonderful things to tell. But so it's kind of like leave some parts out. So you've got grace without holiness. Oh, grace, grace, grace covers everything. The Bible says, watch out that you don't turn grace and pervert it into a license for immorality. That's a quote from the scriptures. Love without truth. Just love what the world needs now is love, sweet love, you know. You know, I'm sorry, but that's what they do, all right? We're not talking that kind of love. We're talking about a love that doesn't listen, a love that does not rejoice with wrongdoing. So there's a love with boundaries, but all you hear about is the grace, and all you hear about is the love. Now, if you just hear grace and love without what I just talked about, you're not going to see any mallets. You're going to see open arms. Oh, you are so kind and loving. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Right? But then you start, well, what I really mean by grace and how the Bible describes love, oh, out comes the mallet. That's the part we don't want to hear. So if you don't want to get clobbered, then you say, fine. I won't tell you about that part, right? The only problem is if you leave something out of a message, you've changed the message. And if the message is the agent by which we are saved, you have now something that cannot save because it is not the gospel. You've changed it. No, I just left some out. Sir, it's the great commission. It's not the great omission. Amen? I made that one up. (laughs) Sorry. No, 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 don't. I'll never tell you that again. (laughs) All right, listen. There's a great apostasy prophesied in the New Testament. That word is thrown around a lot. Uh, What it means is to fall away in the Greek. And so the great apostasy is a Christianity with a lot of omissions. Lots of verses except the hard ones. I like the Greek for this. It's pas rema zoe. I like it better than the English because in the Greek it says all the words of new life. Now, I like all the words. Tell them all the words. Now, I looked up all in the interlinear Greek lexicon and here's what it says. Pas, all. Each and every piece, every part, any, all, the whole, Everyone and everything. Do you get it? (laughs) I I found it very clear to me. Uh, Yeah. All right. So notice the second part, the new life. You know, he didn't say, hey, uh, tell the people about the new laws. Tell the people about the new list of do's and don'ts. All the stuff they can't do and all the things they got to start doing. That's not life. That's called legalism. 
a new father, a new love, a new heart, new desires, a new way of thinking, uh, new goals, new dreams, a new power to be who God created me to be, satisfaction, joy, peace, knowing my sins are washed away, new mercy that the Bible says in Lamentations 3 is new every morning. Jesus' famous lines over and over again, behold, I am making all things new. That's just this new life, the abundant life that he came for us. So let's imagine the scene. We're back in the room. Nobody knows what's happened. The 72 bad guys have assembled, all right? And uh, they don't know. And I just picture the small talk starting, you know, Shalom Anas, Shalom Caiaphas. And they're all talking about what they have for breakfast and the kosher, this and the, all of that. Now, they, I guess, I don't know, I'm just thinking. They smugly start chattering about what to do with the guys who they locked up. They don't know, right? So they're talking about, hey, we locked them up good, huh? Yeah, we shut them all up too. Teach them to mess around with us. They're congratulating themselves, high five, and you know. And then so Caiaphas, Caiaphas gives the nod to the armed gorilla at the door to go fetch the dirty dozen. All right? Now, here's a paraphrase. He comes back empty-handed. They're looking for the 12. They only see the guard come back out of breath with the red face. And he says, okay, boss, get this. <laughs> Got to the jail. The gates were locked tight. The guards were standing in their places. The doors were opened, and there was no one inside. Uh, they vanished into thin air. So it, like in the movies, I could just hear a roar of murmuring, like, what? what's going on? What do you mean they vanished into thin air? What could be happening? And then someone then, while they're puzzled, and trying to figure out how is that possible, in comes another guy out of breath and exclaiming, the guys you're looking for, you locked them up yesterday, guess where they are? They're in the temple courts and guess what they're doing? They're teaching people about Jesus. (laughs) Now, that's a look on their faces that I really need to see. (laughs) I need to see that. Do you know how embarrassed they must have been. It's humiliating. What do you do? You, you hit 12 on the head and boom, they all 12 pop up and go, hello. <laughs> Here we are. You know, just, it's no fun, I'm sure. Now, I do want to call your attention to something that well, I noticed. A miracle means nothing to them. Nothing. Armed guards, lock gates, open the door, Nothing's in there, a few crumbs on the ground, maybe a little mouse, but no 12 disciples. Not a word. They're not concerned about it. They're not impacted at all. You know why it's called a seared conscience? Do you know how many years that they have been justifying and excusing away all of the Holy Spirit's work, all of Jesus' words, all of Jesus' miracles for years? Oh, uh, who did the Magi go to? These guys? The star, they saw the star. How about when the sun stopped shining? We've been down this path before. There were so many miracles that the Bible records the Sadducees were in the presence of God the Son as he was speaking and as he was healing. They saw all of that. Uh, They heard about everything. They've seen it all. How about the lame guy? They knew the lame guy. 
And then they interviewed the lame guy. But how about this? The streets were lined in between this time with all of the mats of those who were demonized, sick, and crippled. And the Bible says they were all, A-L-L, healed. This little jailbreak, it means nothing to them. They're used to coming up with excuses. Like, for example, I could just hear one of them, an inside job, obviously. (laughs) The disciples have friends, they bribed the guards, and the guards let them out, locked up the gate, stood there, and they're gonna play dumb. You know what, they must have big money in the bank account, see? Oh, but it makes sense a little bit, doesn't it? If you don't wanna believe the truth, that that was a miracle. And my friend, there's always somebody who says, you know, if I saw a miracle, of course, yeah. No, you wouldn't. Because you'd find a way to say, to find a way because your heart is not willing. You're not looking at the evidence that's already around you. Creation, the human body, the conscience, the soul, the word of God, the prompting of the Holy Spirit whom God sent to convict you. All of those things don't matter. The things you heard about from Christians, the life transformations, none of that matters. So don't tell me that you're, you're going to be moved by a miracle because you won't be. I love this one quote, a convinced man against his will is of the same opinion still can't force somebody. If you, if you come and say, hey, I'm closed, but do, do a miracle and then I'll believe. No, never going to happen. I'm open. I don't really need to see a miracle. I want to start looking at life objectively. Then you're going to get somewhere. So it doesn't phase them. They fear men and not God. I love this. this uh, so the guy goes, okay, where are they? They're in the colonnade. They're preaching about Jesus. Okay, go get them. Don't use force. Say please and thank you this time. (laughs) Why? Because they were afraid the crowd, the crowds now love what's going on. You're getting saved. You're seeing crippled people stand up, demonized people come to their right mind and have peace. They're with this. So they say, don't cause a scene. Just go and tell them, we'd like a word with you. Now, this is amazing. The disciples go peacefully. Note that. Now listen, David Guzik on this passage. Uh, They were brought in without violence. And here's David. Significantly, the apostles do not appeal to popular opinion for protection against the Jewish rulers. After all, they could have incited the crowd by shouting, are you going to let them take us away? But their trust is in God and God alone. A worldly solution to their problem was available, but they didn't use it. We are not the troublemakers. We are not the protesters. We are the peacemakers. We do not cause riots. And then if somebody says, hey, we want to talk to you about Jesus again, we're like, okay, we'll tell you the same thing. We'll talk to you about Jesus. Verse 27, having brought the apostles now peacefully, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Uh, excuse me, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. (laughs) So I'd just like to make it so I can understand it. And then he goes on. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the others, apostles, chime in. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed, 
by hanging him on a tree. That's kind of a nickname for the cross. 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious. The mallets came out. They wanted to put them to death. All right, I threw in the mallets part, but you've probably figured that out. Okay, we've seen, number one, the underlying problem. Number two, we've looked at the divine intervention and now the truth that makes men crazy, the truth that enrages. All right, here we go, round two, right? The high priest begins. The 12 take their places on the little X's there, the little tape uh, in front of the semicircle, and Peter steps forward. And Caiaphas speaks, and here's my little paraphrase. Gentlemen, we told you in simple Hebrew, we warned you, we commanded you, no more talk. And I want you to notice they won't say the word Jesus. We told you not, we, we, no more talk about in that name of Jesus implied. And you guys have blasted that name all over town and on top of it, you're determined to make us the bad guys and blame this guy's death on us. What about we're gonna kill you, do you not understand? <laughs> so Peter, and it says, and the others. I love this. So Peter steps forward. The other ones are gonna kinda chime in. They're all gonna kinda amen. But Peter's kind of putting it all together. I love him. And here he goes. He says, and we told you in simple Hebrew. Number one, we obey God rather than men. God tells us to speak. You tell us not to. We're going to go with God. Hello. And, and we already told you that. We can't serve two masters. Number two, Jesus is alive even though you had him nailed to a cross. And we already told you that. Number three, Jesus is now Prince, Savior, He's full authority from God. He offers forgiveness of sins to Israel. And we already told you that. And finally, we're just telling you the truth of what we know, what we've seen, what we experience. We're witnesses. We're just telling you what we've seen. And, and you know who else is in the room telling you? The Holy Spirit. And you know how you could have the Holy Spirit? Simply obey him. Because anybody who will obey will have the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two things to do when you're convicted. You react or you repent. So they are going to react. Uh, now, the NIV says, when they heard the simple truth, they were furious. A beautiful word in the Greek, diaprio, and it means to be sawn in two. So they weren't happy, to put it mildly. <laughs> it, it means to be cut to the heart. Now, what brought on this rage enough to kill them? He said, we're going to kill you now. What brought it on? I, I didn't see anything worth killing somebody in the four things. Uh, here's what it is. We're the ones trying you, but suddenly we all feel like we're on trial. We're the judges, but suddenly we feel that you guys are the judges. We used to have the authority. Now we don't feel the authority. We feel like the authority has been placed on you. We're the criminals. You're the good guys. We were the good guys. You were the criminals. That's why 
we want to kill you. So they take out the mallets. Really, Peter's saying, you know what your problem is? The resurrection. You killed somebody who actually is God in the flesh. She's no longer dead. He's alive. But here's the best part of all. He says, and he's offering forgiveness. Last call, gentlemen. He wants to forgive Israel. I mean, and boy, are you in trouble. No, he's, he's come for, I mean, if you resist, yeah, but he's come to bring forgiveness. They could be blessed if they obeyed, but out comes the mallet instead, and let's kill them. Now, they need a vote to kill them of the majority. Well, they're, they're not going to get the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't want to vote their way for anything. So one of the Pharisees, one of the most famous men in Jewish times, stands up, clears his throat, and gives his little opinion. 34 to 40. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men, the disciples, to be put outside for a while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these guys. Some time ago, Theudas, Theudas appeared claiming to be somebody About 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. His followers dispersed. It all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean, this is not Iscariot, the traitor. This is another Judas, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers scattered. Therefore, in the present case, here's what I advise. Leave these men alone. Let them go, for if your purpose... If their purpose, rather, or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. And guess what? You're going to find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. Well, by the way they react, I I find that funny that the speech persuaded them. But we're going to take that as it comes. So now, following the truth that enrages comes foolish advice. Number four, foolish advice. Avoid the truth. Wait and see. Uh, Now, God used this foolish advice to save the lives of the apostles. But let me suggest to you why many commentators think it was foolish and unwise. Well, it's dangerous advice. Um, First of all, here's his first misstep. He lumps Jesus, God the Son, into the same category as two troublemakers, two human rebels, two insurrectionists, two bad guys. He lumps God the Son into that category. And he, and he says, I say, did Judas or Judas ever claim to be God in the flesh? Did they ever open the eyes of the blind? Did they ever walk on the Sea of Galilee? Did they ever claim, if you want to see God the Father, you're looking at him? John 14, verse 9. Anyone who's seen the Father, God, Jehovah, has seen me. Anyone who's seen me, rather, has seen God the Father, John 14, 9. Did he ever say, I and the Father are one? John 10, verse 30. Did he ever raise the dead? Did Judas or Theudas ever do any of these things? Did they have a star shining over the place of their birth? What do you mean by lumping Jesus in with a couple of troublemakers? Oh, yeah. Troublemakers come and go. Here's his advice. Troublemakers come and go. This one I'll go to. Misstep number two. If something isn't from God, it'll fail. Really? Cults are flourishing. 
New Age Christianity is the biggest hit all over. Lots of things that are wrong and immoral are flourishing and growing at the end. God's truth prevails. But in this wicked and perverse generation, that was a quote from Philippians 2. I'm not calling the world that. Paul the Apostle did by the Holy Spirit. In a crooked and perverse generation, there's lots of things that succeed. Just because it succeeds doesn't mean that God's blessing it. That's his misunderstanding. And how do you define success? By numbers or the word of God? The word of God. You go to the word of God, Gamaliel. Misstep number three. Warren Wearsby thinks this is the worst part of his logic. Um, Gamaliel encourages neutrality in a life or death issue that demanded a definite decision. Wait and see actually means no. No. Maybe someday, but no. It's a lot easier to say, wait and see, I'm seeking, I'm just waiting, I'm confused, I need more of this, I need more of that, than actually saying, you know what, I'm a rebel. (laughs) I've got enough information in my conscience alone. Romans chapter 1 says, all people are without excuse because God's truth has been clearly seen by what has been made. And then I'm quoting Romans chapter 1, they are without excuse because God has made the truth known to them plainly. Everybody knows. We know. But we like to say, you know, wait and see. It's called passive aggressive, right? You're really aggressive, but you're going to go about it in a passive way. Here's Matthew 12 and verse 30. Jesus says, you know what? Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let me repeat. This is what Jesus said. There's no neutrality with me, Jesus says. He says, you're either with me or against me. If you are, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And so Gamaliel is a fence-sitter, and Jesus Jesus rebukes fence-sitters. He's like, guys, guys, close your eyes, count to ten, this whole thing will just disappear. You know what? You're going to have to count more than ten, first of all. So, what more do you need, Gamaliel? Seriously? The disciples are healing people left and right. Miracles in front of your face. What's this wait and see thing? Just an excuse. Warren Wearsby calls him a politically correct religious politician. Wait and see. You already saw. You saw enough for 10 million people. He laid eyes on God in a human body. What more are you waiting to see than that? Let's finish up. Two verses. Well, his speech persuaded them. Now, check out what I'm trying to say here. The, the speech persuades them. Then they call the apostles in and have them flogged. <laughs> All right. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Yeah, it persuaded them not to execute them on the spot. But didn't change their heart. There's no wait and see here. We're just going to beat them near to death and then command them the same. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, whining and crying, doubting God, complaining. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Let me adjust here. The the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. 
day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So the foolish advice now is followed by a very strange reaction. We need to talk about this. Whipped and beaten within an inch of their lives, they leave thankful and rejoicing, certainly not for the pain. Uh, Anybody who rejoices in painful situations for the pain itself has a psychiatric condition, (laughs) right? But there's something going on spiritually here that we need to see. And so um, here the 12 are, they were beaten. The word there for flogged in the NIV, darrow, in the Greek, it means to beat, to thrash, to flail the skin. And so really what was going on there, they exposed their backs and they, I'm sorry, peeled the skin. Yeah, that's what they did. We'll teach you to have a relationship with Jesus and to try to tell other people about this joy, this new life. We'll teach you. And so they did. They applied the flailing. Now, remember in Acts chapter 1 when they needed to fill the empty spot at the table where Judas was? Well, that spot was empty. And so they said, hey, we need to be 12 because that's who we are. We're the 12. And so they said, hey, we got two guys, Matt and Joe. Matt and Joe, man, you guys, you love the Lord. You meet all the qualifications. You know what? We're going to pray to the Lord. We can't figure this out. And we're just going to cast the... Uh, lots and let the Lord's will be done. And so it came out, Matt, Matt, you're one of us. And Matt's mom is like, here's the news. It's like, oh, my, my son's like one of the 12. Dad is beaming like, wow, God, thank you. What an honor. Matt's girlfriend's all, man, you're, you're a disciple. You're a disciple, you know? And then we just fast forward a few chapters and the 12. There's a mallet. There's a 12th mallet for whoever got chosen at that table. And now Matt's skin is flayed back. What's he thinking? What's Joe thinking? Phew. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. The guys think it's an honor. The guys are excited. There's something about Jesus and the cross the idea, the crucifixion that brings out the mallet all the time, every time because of what it's implying to you and to me. Now, somebody just got hammered because of the offense in Sonoma County, and it went nationwide last week. I've got a picture of her. She was on the national news. She's an SSU student, and her name, Audrey Jarvis. And here's what happened. About 10 days ago, Audrey was working for the school as a volunteer at orientation day. They had a bunch of students coming in to check out the school. The supervisor, the university rep, told her, Audrey, you need to take that cross off because we have students coming and that's going to offend some of them. They're checking out our school. They can't be hit with that kind of image, unwelcoming and kind of narrow. Take the cross off. She was stunned. I want you to imagine with me if Audrey was wearing a pride bracelet, a rainbow pride bracelet, and somebody from the university went to her and said, you know what, this is orientation day, man. Kids are coming from all over, man. We don't want to offend anybody, so take the bracelet off. 
How about the little head covering? Hey, man, you know orientation day, a lot of students, you know the whole thing with terrorism, the association with Islam, you know, I, I just want you to take the covering off. You know, we don't want to offend anybody. You know, man, I appreciate that you're a Buddhist. I see the beads, but you know, those beads are big beads, man. I mean, it's loud and clear. I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Buddhist. All right, listen, take the beads off because you're going to offend somebody. I guarantee you, especially the pride bracelet, legislation with hate crime, loss of funding, multiple firings. President of the university, fired, no questions asked. Sorry, explain it later. Boycotts, protests, all of the same. What happened here? Nothing. Oh, the president said, oh, that was silly. We're sorry. Was the person disciplined? N O. No. No discipline, no censoring, no words, nothing. Zero. You know why? <laughs> it's the cross. It's the statement that we all hate and want to remove. It says, you're bad, you're evil, you're a sinner. God had to shed his blood for you. There's no other way. You're wicked. You're not getting in without this. Take it away. We don't want to look at it. That's what happened. The hammer went out. Here's what she said. Her mother was trying to console her. It said uh, to her, quote, uh, listen, Audrey, we're still one nation under God. And Audrey says, mom, it doesn't feel like that here. Our faith was attacked, mom. It's unnerving. I know what's going on in this country. I know Christianity is being attacked. Now I know firsthand, and it saddens and sickens me. It's time for Christians to take a stand. Well, how do we take a stand? Let's get our cue from the guys who just got beat within an inch of their lives. That's how you take a stand, all right? A great quote from a guy named William Temple, who was a bishop of the Church of England in the 1600s. Check this out. He says, Christians are called to the hardest of all tasks, to fight without hatred, to resist without bitterness, and in the end, if God so wills, to triumph without vindictiveness. That means without a snotty, I told you so attitude, by the way, which would be the hardest part for me. <laughs> I meant it, all right? They come out, and here's their thinking. Guys, high-fiving each other down the steps with their backs and the blood to their robes. High-fiving, guys. John, we're, we're considered worthy. We gotta thank them. They saw Jesus in us. We're genuine Christians. And God thought we could take it. He entrusted us to be his representation here. And they got a strong enough whiff of Christ that they did to us the same exact thing they did to our Lord. What an awesome thing. Man, we're in, we're in the gospel. We're disciples. We're connected to him. We're going to live forever. And we, in a small way, got to suffer for him and with him and because of him. Now, now how, how did the Sanhedrin take this? They're like, teach them a lesson, right? And so the, the guys are all hobbling out, right? And word gets back to them. Hey, did you hear what happened with the guys? Yeah, we heard. We beat them real good. Yeah, but you know what, boss? They were singing on the way out. What do you mean they were singing? 
they were singing praises, there was some hymn and there was some slapping high fives and all of this stuff. And, and oh, they sent a thank you card in the mail. <laughs> With a gift, a gift certificate to a kosher restaurant down the street. They're not thankful for being beaten, they're thankful for being afforded the honor to be like their Lord and Savior, as Paul the Apostle said, Philippians chapter three. Oh, do I wanna know him, and not just know him, but I wanna enter into the sharing of his sufferings. And Paul got what they got five times. Five times, 39 lashes. Five times. You could die one time from it. Loss of blood infection. Five times. And these guys kept a sweet spirit. They identified. So for us, how do you intimidate somebody who's already dead? Colossians chapter 3 says, set your mind on things above where Christ is. For you have died. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So, so why would we fear about, that's why Christians go to the, the, the stake singing hymns. Go to the lions singing hymns. Come out of the beating singing hymns. Why? You already died. The worst you can do is send me on ahead to my eternal reward. I already lost my stuff. You gonna take my stuff? I already lost my stuff and count in all but garbage that I may gain Christ. I don't care about the stuff. How about your family? You know what, sir? It'll break my heart. However, the Lord is above every single relationship that I have, wife and children, God first. I've already lost everything. There's nothing you can take or do. So that is why I can sing. And the mallet comes out. The hymns come up. We disappear for a while, and then three of them pop up. Praise the Lord. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Knocked down, not defeated, persecuted, not abandoned, crushed, but not, what is it? Destroyed. Destroyed. That's right. You read your Bibles. <laughs> so just remember this. The harder the blow, the more the church grows. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We think about people all around the world who bear our name and have it so much harder. We get mocked or marginalized or we feel, you know, slighted or insulted. Maybe we miss a promotion or, you know, what's the worst thing that happens here? Nothing compared to your people in Nigeria, Afghanistan, and in Indonesia, in Iraq, Iran. All of these places, it's really tough to serve you where, where there's a death sentence in place for doing what you commanded us to do. So help us, Lord, to remember them in our prayers and also, Father, to just stand strong and to go about the Christian task with, with love, sweetness, forgiveness, and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You know the the progenitor or the father of the pesky mole uh, syndrome is Jesus, who's the original mole, right? If we're going to go with the analogy. And they brought down the mallet on his head really hard. And, and what happened was 
a lot of people like us popped up. And here's what Jesus said about that. He said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And the mallet's not so bad if it's God's will. Because what it happens is this Audrey, wonderful Catholic, devoted girl who loves the Lord and just says, I just want other people to know about the God I love so much. You know how many Catholics around her are going to be strengthened? How many Christians are more emboldened to take a stand and to love the Lord? Every time the mallet is used, something good happens. Unless, of course, you're the cause uh, in a wrong way of the mallet. And then, you know, all bets are off. Amen. <laughs> Let me close with a, a story I've told you before. A cute little story, of course, because it involves one of my children. <laughs> when Zachary was about eight or nine years old, he was in the fourth grade or so. And he came home really dejected, but with a pretty good attitude, which I would find out later. What happened is he was, had his Bible a lot, and he would read it at recess, and he would read it. And the, the kids, some boys, were bullying him and didn't let him play uh, because he was the Bible boy. So they were taunting him all day long. Bible boy, Bible boy, what's up, Bible boy? And my heart broke. I was like, oh, here we go. Fourth grade already. And I said, uh, don't let it get you down. He goes, get me down, Dad. More crowns, more crowns, more crowns. <laughs> I know I told you that before, but I can still see him doing the little thing and saying more crowns, you know. Uh, the Lord Jesus, Matthew 5, says, listen, blessed are you when, you, when the mallet comes out. Because uh, that's how they've treated everyone related to me from the prophets on. They got the mallet, but waiting for you in heaven is a reward for that. So just remember, the mallet comes out, what are you going to say? Mo crowns, mo crowns. Okay. Uh, you don't have to do the dance. Some of you, that would be very scary. L let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We yield ourselves to your wonderful will. Thank you for this this wonderful account that's life-giving, encouraging, fresh, just fills us with all sorts of good things. So we ask, Lord, your protection and your strength and your grace to live out your truth without compromising with great love and great respect. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>